Well, Formula One back after a weekend off following the triple header. We'll be heading to Sochi for the Russian Grand Prix round 15 of the World Championship. Yet another race where we'll wonder how Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen will continue their battle on the track if they even meet on the track. We got more on that later. First, this is the Overtake F1 podcast. Subscribe to this channel if you like what we're doing. Leave us a five-star review because that helps us grow. And we are growing, and we really do appreciate all of you who listen in. You can find us on Facebook at the Overtake F1 podcast. You can participate in conversations there, your thoughts on races and controversies and news of the day. And you can also hit me up on Twitter at Tony D Radio. All right, let's get to it. The Russian Grand Prix preview. Sochi, it's not the best race on the calendar, let's be honest. The track is kind of boring. It's always won by Mercedes. The races there are somewhat forgettable. There's been a couple of good moments, but it's somewhat forgettable. Last year's race was won by Valtteri Bottas, but it's best remembered when Lewis Hamilton was penalized for taking some practice starts on the pit lane, uh, on the sort of the run out of the pit lane and had to take a 10 second penalty, which dropped him third on the podium. However, it has helped the sport grow in that country, and it will be a home race for Nikita Mazepin, and the race will be, hold, be held at 50% capacity. This is the second to the last race to be run at Sochi, which started its Grand Prix in 2014. The Russian Grand Prix will now move to St. Petersburg in 2023. This race has never been won by anybody else than Mercedes. Hamilton has won this race four times. Botas has won it twice. Nico Rosberg won it in 2016. Now, we will go over the circuit in our Track Talk segment. That's coming up. We'll also have our top five bottom farm from Monza and a brief review of the Netflix documentary Schumacher. But first, here are the five things that I'm watching out for this weekend at the Russian Grand Prix. One, will Red Bull put Max in the back? As of this recording, there's not been any announcement as to whether Red Bull Racing plans on changing the power unit for Max Verstappen. That would be number four if they do so. Now, if so, he will start in the back of the grid. Now, Max already has a three-place grid penalty for causing the accident at Monza with Hamilton. And this is such a Mercedes stronghold that Christian Horner and Helmut Marco they might just decide to make that power unit change this weekend. It would put a damper on another Hamilton-Verstappen meeting on the track, but you never know. I mean, you could you could see Verstappen move up to the field. Maybe Hamilton has some issues in the pits like he did at Monza, and it's slower, and somehow they, they meet up again. But if Hamilton is up front and Verstappen's at the back, they'll, they'll unlikely meet. Those two coming together, that has been the story this season in Formula One. I do understand the move by Red Bull, if indeed they make it. Now, Verstappen took his third power unit at Hungary, and it's a belief that he'll take the fourth at Sochi because it is a Mercedes track. Now, what if they don't decide to do that? What if Red Bull decides Verstappen will just take the three-place grid penalty? He That would mean he couldn't start any higher than fourth winning pole, but it doesn't mean we won't have another tangle with Hamilton if he does start P4. You got a number of contact already this year. Imola, the big wreck at Silverstone, the ha what what occurred at Monza a couple of weeks ago, right? You'd think that these two have figured out how to race each other cleanly, but they haven't. And you can overtake it, Sochi. You know, Helmut Marco said they will likely make the decision based on some of the data that they're getting in practice this weekend. So that is one of the things I'm watching for. What exactly will Red Bull do with Max Verstappen? And if they decide not to put him in the back with the power unit, what does that mean for this chase with Hamilton? The other thing I'm looking forward to seeing is the McLaren-Ferrari battle now that it's got this new twist coming out of Italy. Now, I've talked about this before in many podcasts, and it's still carrying some weight. This is the fight for P2 
in the Constructors' Championship. It has been really fun to watch. Both teams have had really good moments, and both have had, you know, their letdowns. You know, you think Ferrari in France or McLaren at Zandvoort. You know, those were the down moments in this P3 battle. But now you've got McLaren coming off a 1-2 finish at Monza and Daniel Ricciardo picking up the win. So there is a new feel to this now, and that's what winning can do. Right now, McLaren leads Ferrari in the Constructors' Race by 13.5 points. And if there is momentum in this sport, McLaren has it. However, Ferrari has been pretty consistent this season. Most of the races, their drivers have run in the top 10. But that's not been the MO for McLaren. I mean, Norris has been fantastic this season. Ricardo, however, has had his issues. The moment we think he's got the machine down, he doesn't. But now he's a race winner. He's back. And there's a feeling around McLaren that they have a machine that can be both of the drivers be up top in this race for P3. And that win at Monza could change the rest of the season for him in that car. Right? Again, if there's momentum in this sport, McLaren now has it. All right, another thing is Antonio Giovinazzi and Kimi Raikkonen. Just be honest, the entire Alfa Romeo team. This is this is the only seat that remains open for 2022, and it's Giovinazzi's. He's going to need some good results to keep it. He's qualified well in the last two races, a P7 at both Zandvoort and Monza, but his finishes have not been very good. He got clipped at Monza. That resulted him losing his front wing. And there are plenty of rumors going on as to who the teammate is going to be for Valtteri Bottas when he takes Raikkonen's seat, who's leaving for retirement. If Giovinazzi wants to be that person, right now is when he better start showing that he is the right teammate for Valtteri Bottas, or they'll give that seat to an up-and-coming young driver. Now, as far as his teammate, Kimi Raikkonen, he announced his retirement, but we have not seen him race since that announcement because he's had COVID. Robert Kubitska has been filling in for him. This is the race that could start that quote-unquote farewell tour, if you will. Now getting into some nitty-gritty of the actual race itself and the circuit. Can Sochi deliver? That's the other thing I'm watching for this weekend. This isn't my favorite race. I'm just going to be honest with you. It isn't. And for many of you who follow the sport, it probably isn't yours either. Um, you know, you hear me talk a lot on these podcasts, like, we're going to Silverstone, and I'm love, I love that circuit, and Spa, and Monza. This one, when it's gone, I won't miss it. I just won't. Maybe some of you out there love it, and God bless you if you do, but I don't. I just don't think it lends itself to good racing. Cars get spread out quickly. Mercedes wins all the time. But I wonder now if this race in particular, the 2021 version of the Russian Grand Prix, can be different. Now, nothing is going to change about the track. It's going to be the same boring circuit, but... You can see some unforeseen circumstances here, some unpredictability that we've seen so far in this season that can result in some opportunities for some other drivers other than the Silver Arrows to take advantage and win this race. But the number one thing I'm watching for is what I just mentioned. Mercedes, the Silver Arrows, they've been dominant at this track because they've won every Grand Prix that has been won here since 2014. Lewis Hamilton trailing the championship by five points. There is a good chance that he could leave Sochi with the lead in the championship, especially if Max decides to take that power unit penalty and go from the back of the pack. But look, look at Valtteri Bottas. And this is something we touched on in our preview of the Italian Grand Prix. He is now racing with that heavy weight of his future off his shoulder. He's the defending race champion at, at Sochi, and he seems to be driving more free. I mean, his, his run at Monza was absolutely amazing. So I'm not only watching Hamilton, but I'm watching for the guy that took the checkered flag last year, too, who seems to be racing with a more free attitude. 
The Silver Arrows are just going to be really disappointed if they leave Sochi without a 1-2 finish. This is their time to get points and make a move in the standings for both Hamilton and the team before the series starts hitting the tracks where Red Bull will have more of an advantage. If they have some problems this weekend, bad pit stop, mechanical failure, whatever the reason, we might point to this race as a real lost opportunity. All right, this is our track talk segment. This is where we go over the circuit. Sochi is pretty flat. It runs through the Olympic Park that was built for the 2014 Winter Games. 5.8 kilometers. It has 18 turns. One of the major features of this track is its 90-degree corners. Right off the grid, the track goes into a high-speed straight that sort of bends to the right. So it's not really a straight, but it sort of leans to the right a bit. But it is all flat out. It'll be the first DRS zone once it's activated. Turn two though starts a large left-hander 750 meters has similar characteristics to turn eight in hungry austin has a similar turn and its track at the circuit of the americas after that the cars will hit a series of 90 degree turns to the right at turn four another right at turn five and so forth there'll be another right-hander at turn 10 and that sort of leads to another long straight the second drs zone that bends to the right and then slightly to the left before there's another 90 degree turn that will go under a bridge before a few more tight turns that will lead to the start finish line which by the way is really right off turn 18 almost as soon as they make the corner the start finish line will be right there there'll be 53 laps in this grand prix Pirelli will use the softest range of compounds this weekend. C3 for the hards, C4 for the medium, C5 for the softs. They expect a one-stop race with a medium to hard strategy. The range of tires was exactly the same as last year. Am I expecting a exciting race? No. Am I expecting a race that could shape the championship? Yeah, if Mercedes wins and Max Verstappen starts in the back of the field. But I think those things, again, are sort of expected going into this weekend. So I expect Mercedes to win and Red Bull to just sort of limit the damage as best they possibly can. All right, let's get to the top five and bottom five now from Monza, the Italian Grand Prix. We go into the bottom five first, and then we'll get to the good stuff later. But the first one in the bottom five is not a driver, it's a team, and that's Alfatari. The team had both of their drivers, Pierre Gasly and Yuki Sonoda. They both ended their day early. Sonoda didn't even start. Gasly retired after a few laps. He did have a P6 start in the sprint race, but then got tangled up there. This was supposed to be a weekend to remember. It was Gasly's you know, defending champion, credible run last season at the track, but it ends up being a tire mess for the entire team. Number two, and that's Antonio Giovinazzi. Now we touched on this in the things to watch for this weekend at the Russian Grand Prix because he is looking to keep his seat at Alfa Romeo. He had started seventh in the last two Grand Prix, but he has not turned those starts into something. He got banged up in the second chicane. He suffered damage. That ruined his race. So we're going to start seeing Antonio Giovinazzi have to perform if he wants to keep that seat. Number three on my bottom five, Max Verstappen. A pole position start. This should have been Max's race to lose. Lewis Hamilton even said it was going to be an easy win for Max. But he lost that top spot right away to Daniel Ricciardo and then had a very long pit stop that cost him places. That's not his fault. That's the team. But when he came around Parabolica and Hamilton is coming out of, out of the pits, they go into the first chicane. They collide. It ends both their races. And the stewards felt that he was at fault. And then they penalize him three grid spots for the weekend. Now, here's the good news. He didn't lose any points. You know, he gained a few after the sprint race on Saturday, and then he didn't lose any in the Grand Prix. So he gained a little on Saturday and then didn't lose any on Sunday. Number four in the bottom five, 
Nikita Mazepin. The Russian driver is not getting along too well with his teammate. They had some serious issues at Zandvoort prior to Italy, and then he collides with Mick Schumacher. He had to retire with a power issue. He did apologize, so let's give him credit for that, but he's in the bottom five. He should have a lot more fun this weekend, given it's his home Grand Prix. But right now, him and Mick Schumacher don't seem to be seeing eye to eye. I know it's a long year for Haas. They they didn't put any effort into their car this season, and rightfully so. But these two drivers are going to make a mess of the rest of the season if they keep this up. And number five on my bottom five, it's not a driver and it's not a team. It is a concept, and that is the sprint race. Okay, I'm going a little rogue with this one because I do like to just put drivers and or teams into this, but hear me out on this. This was not a good show for Formula One. This qualifying race is now in its second running, and it was not a good effort. There is no worse way to sell this to the public than what they ran at Monza. It was boring. It was dominated by Valtteri Bottas. And because Verstappen knew that Bottas was going to take a power unit and start at the back of the grid for the Grand Prix, he had no incentive to put pressure on him for the lead. He knew just hang out in the second spot and you'll start from pole position. And that's exactly what he did. Yes, Fernando Alonso moved up a bit. Yes, Pierre Gasly got in a little bit of a mess. But again, it goes back to things we've been talking about in this podcast over the last few weeks with these sprint races. There is no incentive for drivers to make a risky move if it isn't for points. If it's just a position or two, why risk it all? The Grand Prix is where it's at. If you're running sevenths, just say seventh. There's no reason to get sixth on a risky move at the Lesmo corners or make a move at one of the chicanes. If you can't make it, you'll just sit back and go, "Eh, seventh will be all right. Now, they are going to Brazil, and they're going to try this again if we do indeed race in Brazil. Maybe it's time to go to the drawing board and figure out something. I don't know. But I think it's they're going to give it one more shot, and then let's see what it comes up with at, at Interlagos because I think the Monza race was a step back in trying to sell it to the public. All right, so that is my bottom five, the sprint race, Nikita Mazepin, Max Verstappen, Antonio Giovinazzi, and Alfatari. Let's get to the top five. And number five on my list, George Russell. What a great week for Russell heading into Monza. It was announced that he'd be the new driver at Mercedes, and he scored points for Williams with a P9 finish. Points in Russell are starting to become a thing now. Isn't it great? But the move to Mercedes was the big reason he's in the top five. He had three seasons of waiting around for this, riding in the back of the field with a team that wasn't giving him a competitive car. Now he's on a team that could deliver him a world championship. Now George Russell can start fulfilling the promise that he had when he entered the sport. He now has that machine. But go back to the points. Man, they seem to be coming for him. And it's like, I don't know. It's like breaking the four minute mile, I guess. I think I used this analogy before. Like it happens once and everybody goes, wow, we didn't think that was actually possible. And then once it happens, it happens a lot more. And that's what George Russell is doing. You get those points and now here they come. Number four, Charles Leclerc. Uh, Listen, there was hope for the Tifosi when Leclerc that he would actually win the race when Verstappen and Hamilton collided. And you realize, all right, it's Ferrari, it's McLaren, Sergio Perez is in this mix, Valtteri Bertas is charging, but maybe Leclerc might hold on and win this thing. He did it in 2018, but 
he didn't. He he had to settle for P4, which is not a bad finish at all. The five second penalty to Sergio Perez helped him move up in the in this in the spots, but it was still a good run for Ferrari. And they needed it too, because the day completely belonged to McLaren, as we'll find out. Number three on my top five, that's Lando Norris. It was a P2. He celebrated with his teammate on the podium. He had a few bad breaks over the last few races. Remember, he had a DNF at Hungary. He had the wet crash at Spa, a P10 at Zanvoort. Mr. Consistency is back. That was the one thing coming out of Silverstone. We all kept saying about Lando, right? This guy runs in the top 10. This run guy runs in the top five. And now it's back. It's a P2, and he did the right thing. He didn't want to challenge for the lead. He knew it was good for the team if Ricardo and him finished 1-2. He took it. He celebrated. It was a great day for McLaren. Lando Norris is 3. He would be 2, except I was too impressed with the run of Valtteri Bottas. Outside of one driver... No one had a better weekend than Valtteri Bottas. He won pole position for the sprint race, then won the sprint race. He made his way up through the field after he took the power unit penalty that made him start in the back in the Grand Prix. He finished on the podium once Perez got the five-second penalty. He was in a rocket ship and drove just like it was a rocket ship. It was a fantastic week for the Finn. I kept wondering, with the weight off his shoulders, knowing he was going to Alfa Romeo and no more, are you going to be replaced this year, Valtteri? Once that's done, he was going to drive a little bit more free, and it was absolutely magnificent. But you can't do a top five without a number one guy, and the number one guy is obvious. It's Daniel Ricciardo. I never went away. I just went aside for a few. I love that quote. I love that line. Daniel Ricciardo, a race winner. I said it in our Italian Grand Prix review. No more popular winner than Daniel Ricciardo. People have been waiting for this to happen, and it finally happened. First race win since 2018. He does so in a McLaren that he struggled with a lot at times this season. So I got to give it to him. There's nothing else to say. He got the lead right off the bat. This should have been Max Verstappen's race to lose, but Ricardo got that lead, held onto it, and he he did a good job of holding Max back until, uh, you know, the crash occurred and that sort of threw the two championship contenders out of the picture. And then he had a good teammate behind him and then went on to victory. So Daniel Ricardo rounds out the top five. All right. I want to end this podcast by doing sort of a mini review of the Netflix documentary Schumacher. I was waiting for this and couldn't wait to dive into it. I liked it a lot. I didn't necessarily love it. I liked it a lot, though. I'm going to give it a B, uh, maybe even a B plus, but I'm not going to give it a solid A. Did it remind me of the dominance of Michael Schumacher using those clips and those race that race footage? Yeah, it did. I came into the sport in the mid-90s, so I remember Michael Schumacher coming onto the scene. I remember him dominating, and I remember him winning a bunch of titles at Ferrari and all of that. But it also gave an insight into his childhood. It gave an insight into his family. And that is what the Schumacher family wanted you to see. Right, This was done with the full cooperation of the family. So they're the ones telling the stories. They're the ones giving you the info they want to give you. So there were some things that I would wish they dove into more. I wish they dove into more of his controversial tactics on the racetrack. They, they touched on the suspension and whatnot. But there, were, there's, there was some missed opportunities to really paint a a more broader picture of Schumacher's career in Formula One. As great as it was, as as iconic as it is still to this day, 
there are still ways that it can be dissected. If you're used to those sort of hard-hitting documentaries, like the 30 for 30s on ESPN or some of the documentaries that HBO does, um, they're, they're really giving you a complete picture and you sort of come away from it with new information. This really wasn't that. But there were some moments in this documentary that I do want to touch on. And one that I think that his wife deserves a ton of credit for doing this in the first place. She really, you could tell she really loves her husband and the, the shots that they showed of those two together. It really made you go, my God, these two really were meant for each other. It was really touching to see them and as a young couple. And she met him before he was Michael Schumacher. And I always like those stories because you know, when you build something together, I always love that about a relationship or a marriage when you, you remember when you were poor, you remember when you were starting up the business and, you know, she has that relationship with Michael and some of the stories that she told of his sweetness and his consideration and his joy for life were really touching, especially knowing what we know about his sort of state now after the skiing accident. They didn't touch on the skiing accident much, and that's a decision that the family made. Um, but there was information about that day that they almost didn't go skiing. They almost went to Dubai to go skydiving. So there was th that's a little bit of information that they're, that they're giving you. I, I did love the, the stories of Michael Schumacher's youth. I loved his relationship with his parents. I love that, you know, he used old tires and equipment that were thrown away and he used them to win races and beat the other cars that were throwing those items away. I love that he was racing on slicks in the rain. He was practicing driving on, on slicks in the rain so that he would be a phenomenal race driver when you didn't have to run slicks in the rain, that those were incredible stories. Overall, I was, I, I was entertained. I was informed and I was moved. Would I have wanted more? Yeah. Was there more to tell? Yes. I don't know if I want a two part, three part docu series on Schumacher. I think I would, I'd still eat it up, but I don't think that is what we were ever going to get. So I just take what we will get and I give it a B. I, I, I think if you're a formula one fan, you've probably already seen it. If you're kind of getting into formula one and, by the way, if you are, thank you for listening to this podcast as a way to sort of enhance your fandom. I do encourage you to watch it. I think because he's one of the most important figures in the sport of Formula One, I think knowing his story, as limited as this documentary does in telling the whole story, I think it's important to see it. So again, a B rating for me on the Schumacher documentary. Wish there was more, but I was very, very glad with what I got. All right, we're going to be back next week with a review of the Russian Grand Prix should be a Mercedes win but you never know so we'll have the complete picture of the race what it means for the championship plus we'll give you any news that hits the sport and analyze that this is the Overtake F1 podcast again subscribe to the podcast if you like what we're doing please please leave us a five star review they tell me this is how podcasts grow in popularity how they grow and, and get to people's attention I don't know if that works but if it does please leave us a five star review if you like what we're doing also you can hit us up on Facebook, the Overtake F1 podcast. Again, we post uh, the news of the day. We post race information. If you'd like to participate in the conversation that we have online, we'd love to hear from you. You can hit me on Twitter at Tony D Radio. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week for the review of the Russian Grand Prix. Enjoy all the weekend action in Formula One. This is the Overtake F1 podcast. <laughs>